Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, give you great thanks for your uh, mercy and for your rescue. We ask God that you would be with us now. We thank you for the ministry of her song. And we ask that you would continue to empower them to, um, and to bring uh, women to health who have been uh, the victims of, of sin and evil uh, in this world. We ask God that you would uh, just move our hearts uh, to see how we might partner with them and, um, and, and assist all that you are doing uh, for these ladies in our community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so pleased to have uh, once again Rachel White, who is the uh, founder and director, uh, executive director, I guess, of uh, Her Song. Uh, and then also Alicia Calhoun, who is the Director of Development. So glad that you are here with us, Alicia. Um, how long have you been in that role, uh, de- Director of Development? Um, just, uh, I'm sorry as well. It's been a couple weeks now. So wow, yeah, so yeah. She's been in the works. So you all are uh, task number one. Right? So get your checkbooks out. Um, very good. Well, if, if, Rachel, if you can just kind of, in case we missed it, in case uh, somebody's new or hadn't heard or forgot. Um, tell us just sort of the Cliff Notes version of what Her Song is and how it got started. Great. Um, Her Song is a ministry here in our community, um, reaching out and bringing in women who are victims of human trafficking into a healing uh, where, okay. So we provide healing homes where women can come in and receive really comprehensive services over time and because human trafficking is devastating to body mind and spirit um, these women need opportunities not just for work not just for a little counseling once a week but they really need an opportunity to completely turn their lives around from victimization to empowerment so I, we got started this was a very personal calling for me by the Lord I had been in a season of seeking I'd gotten a master's in counseling had worked at Mayo Clinic Um, had opened a private practice, but I knew there was more. I knew there was something that God wanted for me, and I had been in a season of prayer, and really at a traffic light, the Lord stopped me in my tracks through just a story on the radio by a young lady from my home state of Texas was talking about how she had been groomed for the sex trade, for sex trafficking by her family. And then she went on to tell her story. And her story really had a great ending because she had come out of that life and had healed. She had met the Lord and given her life to Him. And now she was a voice for other women that were trapped in that world. And um, I, the Holy Spirit said to me at that traffic light, this is what I have planned for you. And as you can imagine, that was like way out of right field or left field. I don't know what the saying is, but you know, it was just out of the blue for me. And I didn't understand. And I tried to explain to my husband what the Holy Spirit was saying to me. And he was like, what? What? You know, and but the Lord had so impressed on me. And I just went into a season of praying and I was crying all the time. I'm a pretty even kill, happy person, you know, and my husband's like, I don't know what's going on with you, but the Lord just really began to solidify in my heart that this is what he had planned for me, and this was an appointed time for me to join him in that ministry in the world and to become a voice for this issue and this problem, and, and I knew that he was calling me to provide a healing home for women. At the time, I didn't have any context. It didn't make sense to me. Um, but I jumped in the deep end. I got to know people in the community. Law enforcement started working with the coalition. Um, got to figure out over time what's going on in Jacksonville. What it, where is it? 
um, that this community needs help. You know, what is what is my civic duty? What is my duty as a Christian to this community? And how can I serve there? And sure enough, because God has foreknowledge of everything, what was needed was a healing home. What was needed was a hub where these women, when they're rescued by FBI, by local law enforcement, they have a place to go besides jail or back on the streets. So when we asked, where do these women go? Everybody just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, well, I guess, you know, we turn them back out on the streets. So there was not really a single opportunity for these women. And I watched them, some of them trying to get well. And, you know, when you have to ride a bus to go, you know, an hour over here to go get counseling and you got to get back on the bus and go, you know, an hour over here. And then what about a job? And, you know, these there were so many hurdles for these ladies. And. These are people that have never been integrated into society anyway. Right. So it's not like, and, and I'm going to remove reintegration from our language because these women have never integrated into a family, a healthy relationship. They've not been nurtured. They've not been developed like we would have developed normally in our upbringing um, with a supportive family environment. So Is, is that why they, they are susceptible to this sort of thing? Because they've not had that sort of supportive environment. They go looking for the promise of, of, of hope. Is that is that how, how one would get involved? No one signs up for it. I mean, it's, no. yeah, right. Exactly, yeah. and and you bring up a great point. These women have such a long history of victimization. It starts in childhood, and you know. So if you look at this issue, we're not just fighting for women to heal, adult women. We are fighting for people who were abused as children and never had an opportunity. Trauma was so normalized for them um, that it's very. Um, easy for traffickers who are incredibly intelligent criminals to lure these people into a trap and to gain power and control over them and then they're able to control them. And I'll tell a quick, I want to give a little example of some research and this is so cruel. I don't think this would happen in our day and time. I think this was back in the 60s but these guys were looking at, they had dogs in a cage and they would shock these dogs and they would, um, if they tried to get out of this space that they were in. And, and so then over time, as they opened the doors, the dogs would never get up and walk out the door, right? And so they were so preconditioned to not escape. You know, that's something that happens to our psyche that happens to our brain. And that's what we're seeing in these women. They don't know that there's an opportunity. Hope has died. They have called out to God, somebody save me. You know, God, if you're there, would you save me? And nothing happens, you know. And so, and yes, we do know that God saves. And you know what? He does that through us. We are his voice. We are his hands. We are his feet. And yes, he works in the supernatural, but he is calling us, I think, as believers and as a community to pay attention to this because if a woman can heal, we are having a multi-generational effect. Women are getting out of poverty. They're breaking cycles of abusive relationships. They're learning how to raise their children. And so we're, we're in the long run, um, even in the short run, we're seeing women get a child back, you know, building her life, getting an apartment, you know, moving on from our program into a healthier life. And so hopefully, we're having a ripple effect in our society through the work that we're doing. Yeah, no, no telling how many thousands of, of people you affect by impacting one through True. people. Mm -hmm. 
Well, we've heard your story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us again. Uh, Alicia, you, you probably didn't answer just, you know, an ad in the newspaper. Uh, how, how, how do you sense a call? How, how did you land at, at her song as director of development? Oh, absolutely. So over the past year, um, I've been working in sales in the corporate industry for the last 15 years. And the Lord just began to move upon my heart. And I just began to have a season of prayer where I wanted really to do something more spiritual, more tangible, more granular for the Jacksonville area. And so I began to weep and ask the Lord, you know, what is my part? What can I do? How, how can I be hands and feet for you, Jesus, in this local community here? And so um, through lots of prayer and networking, um, I answered a call for the need for to come on with um, her song. And um, it's my second week now, and I, I can truly say even as of last week, I just got up every day just excited about, you know, a new opportunity. Today's a new opportunity. Lord, what can we do today for you and for this ministry and for these ladies? And I am just so faithful and so looking um, faithfully that the Lord is just going to do mighty things this year. And I, I just can't wait to just be a part of that. Well, I know you'll be a great blessing. Uh, just just an observation. I mean, the both of you uh, started with a... Um, from a place of, of faith and obedience and wanting to do what the want to honor Jesus and what the Lord wanted, which led you to prayer and the and the ministry and the mission came out of prayer. And um, and it's really, really fantastic. Thank you. Um, well let me ask you, I mean, is it I mean, what are we talking about in terms of the the prevalence of human trafficking in our culture? Is it really is it that common? Is it only sexual? Uh, is it just women? I mean, just talk a little bit about the problem itself. Okay. Well, as much as you can uh, measure something like this, as you can imagine, very difficult to measure, the International Labor Organization puts out um, statistics on the international problem, and they, they, their estimates are $150 billion a year industry, uh, 40.3 million people in our world enslaved, meaning they're controlled, for a profit um, by force, fraud, or coercion um, to commit acts of labor, to commit sexual acts. Um, we Believe it or not, we've worked with a couple of women from another country who were being threatened to have their organs taken out. Um, you know, people are trafficked in different ways um, across the world. And predominantly in the international scene, it's, it's labor trafficking. You know, if you think about all the poverty in other countries as compared to the United States, you know, we're the wealthiest country in the world. So inter labor trafficking is the, is the predominant problem internationally. However, in the United States, yes, we have labor trafficking and those cases are easier to prove. And so we have a lot more cases that are um, through the federal courts that are labor trafficking cases. Sex trafficking is incredibly hard to prove. Um, but that is our predominant problem, as we know right now in Jacksonville. Um, what, what makes it hard to prove? I mean, what, that mm -hmm. seems to me mm -hmm. to be a pretty obvious thing. So right. what, obviously it's not. So what, mm -hmm. help, show me where I'm naive about that. Okay, sex trafficking is an underground criminal industry. So it's happening in the shadows. It's happening in the dark when we're all asleep. You know, these women are awakened. You know, they're put out there throughout the night. Um, one of our girls said, you know, Miss Rachel, I used to be a vampire. I was asleep during the day and awake at night. And I think also, you know, proving a sex crime is really challenging. And proving that someone is making a profit off of you is, is very challenging. Um, and so, you know, I think that 
just alongside our law enforcement and working alongside JSO, we're getting better and better and better. And we have people now that are experts, you know, in this area. And and it's, but it's just very challenging to prove that someone was making a profit off of you through acts of sex. So you've got to have, you know, follow the the breadcrumbs that that prove that. Um, you know, so here in Jacksonville, we they recovered 66 victims last year. Um, I'm pretty sure all of those were sex trafficking and a handful of those were children. So what we know is that one out of four victims across the world in an international way are children, but seven out of 10 are women. Seven out of 10 victims are women. So it's, this is an issue locally that we need to pay attention to. These women are often, they're frequent flyers through the, the correctional system. Uh, they're costing us a lot of money, our taxpayers, and right now our program costs significantly less than being in Duval County Public Jail for a year. Um, potentially even half of what it would cost them to go to jail. But as these women are willing to cooperate, and that's one of the problems, is that these women cooperating with law enforcement, they're, they're conditioned by traffickers to not trust law enforcement. They don't want to talk to them. They don't, you know, they're... they're Anytime somebody, you know, you've got this police officer wearing, you know, a vest and having guns, what do you think a traumatized child is seeing through their eyes when they see somebody that is that strong and that powerful? Um, you know, it's just a replay of someone that was bigger than, stronger than them that has abused them. And so those are areas that are new and that we're working in to try to connect the dots between the victims and law enforcement. And that's where her song can really play a wonderful role. And that's where survivors can also play a role. Hey, I sat in your seat. I was there. You know, so there's many factors that make it very difficult to prove a sex trafficking case. You just have to have corroboration. You know, so when you've got a bunch of girls on drugs that are forced, you know, to prostitute, they're beat, you know, they're, they've got they're surveilled constantly. You know, they're living in survival mode. All they care about is where am I gonna sleep, eat, live, get my drugs or whatever. You know, how do you get this, you have to connect the testimonies, you know, in order to build a case. So it's really challenging. Yeah, there's probably a, a, an element of consent if someone's hooked on drugs and they can't have their drugs unless they do that. And so they sort of, I mean, I would imagine and the more I think about that, I mean, I just can hear that how, how tricky that, that system would be. You know, we probably wouldn't know it if we intersected with somebody. Uh, I've heard you talk about, you know, finding someone at, at Walmart or, or something like, how, how would we know? I mean, how would we, I mean, they're not going to come up to us. They just, you know, maybe seem pitiable and, you know, but how, how, um, how, what should we look for? Yeah, it's very challenging for the public, I think, to be able to identify victims of trafficking. Um, However, there have been instances here in Jacksonville where some victims have been identified by the public. And uh, one lady that we worked with was Hispanic. She was an international victim. Her name was Azul, a beautiful lady. But she was brought over from Mexico by this woman who put an ad in a paper and, um, you know, come work for me and I need a surrogate mother. So basically she was trying to impregnate this woman with a turkey baster. And... Um, making her clean her house and making her lay in bleach if she didn't clean her house right she would make her sleep in bleach on the tile floor in the dining room i mean she was horrifically abusive towards this woman but she would make this woman go outside and wash her car and a neighbor kept seeing 
this very disheveled, distraught woman in the parking lot of some apartments washing a car and started talking to her. And so I know it's really scary to befriend people, you know, that are different from us, that smell funny, look funny, you know, but I do think that Jesus calls us, um, you know, to, to reach out to those people. And, you know, we've had another lady identify a victim at Walmart. It's very challenging to identify it unless you're engaging with it. But people who, you know, are being trafficked have no control over their coming and going. They usually don't have any possessions. They don't have any documentation like a driver's license or something like that. Um, you know, a lot of the girls that we might see that, that would, we would consider a prostitute, um, you know, it's likely that she's being trafficked. And if she isn't at the moment, she probably has been in her history and was able just to, you know, get away. Some of these guys are super aggressive and controlling. Others, it's easy come, easy go, because there's girls everywhere that they can lure into this world, which is really sad. Um, but I think, you know, if you do encounter someone who even you suspect is being trafficked, you can always call the non-emergency number for JSO. Um, I don't, I used to have that memorized. I have Teflon brain. I don't, I can't think of it at the moment, but you can also call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, you can give them information. You can give them the National Human Trafficking Hotline and just say, hey, you know, because I've stopped and talked to some people that are beggar, you know, like with their little cardboard sign. And my husband saw these two European women in two different places in the Walmart parking lot with the same sign. And, you know, if you see somebody surveilling them or watching them, you know, that could potentially be a clue. And it's worth it to report it. You know, if you see something, say something. Um, even though this is kind of a hidden in plain sight problem, you know, the more we know about the problem and we can educate ourselves and our community, the more we can report and the more we can investigate and see what's going on. Great. Um, what, so when, if someone, I mean, you're not conducting a race, kicking down the doors at a CD motel or something. So what, um, yeah. surprise, <laughs> that comes in week three. Um, <laughs> so what, um, I mean, what, when they do come to you, so you know the JSO uh, or St. John's County, whatever they they are able to get them into a, a jail cell, have a sort of a, um, a debrief with them, and they finally do come to you. Maybe that's not. Maybe there's steps between that. What um, what what's the what are the goals? I mean, what what is someone hoping to get from? Um, what, what is a woman hoping to get? What are you hoping to provide? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great question. Well, we, um, after lots of studying the problem locally, because that's where we want to serve. And it's not that we would turn away an international victim. Um, we're definitely going to do what we can to help and serve there, too. But our focus is our community. These are women that have grown up in Jacksonville. We are getting a lot of referrals from Orlando, and we've kind of had to say, okay, hold on. You know, we serve, we're, we're about Jacksonville. We really want to serve the women in this community. So when the women come to us, um, they've gone through detox because we are not a detox facility that requires, you know, medical supervision. Sometimes the women are detoxing in a hospital. The hospitals here locally do call us and ask us to come in and we'll interview women and give information. Um, but we connect with that woman and um, if she's, you know, we go through a pretty serious application process because we want to know where she's been, what she's been through, but also what is what does she see herself doing? You know, how does she, how motivated is she to move forward? And sometimes there's a little spark of motivation and that's, that's usually enough for us. Um, 
So the women coming into our program go through a period of rest. And this is so hard and they hate this word, but the body, they're living in a body that is traumatized. They're living in a body that does not know how to sleep at night. They're living in a body that's angry, um, that's been living on adrenaline and, you know, drugs, stress hormones. You know, they don't eat. They don't know how to eat three healthy meals. They don't know how to eat healthy food at all, you know. Um, so this early period is really a time of rest, of resetting the body. And we're doing very intentional things. It's not a passive time. It's a very active time. But the goal is simply learning to sleep. We're attending to physical needs. Um, we have partnerships in the community like St. Vincent's, who does all the health care for our women. We have other health care providers that have offered services um, for, you know, at no charge to the victims as a way of supporting our work in the community. Um, and we attend to, you know, dental care. They need prescription medication. You know, just every, it's like having a baby. It's like they need everything in that early phase. But the awesome thing is once they start to stabilize after several weeks of that, they move into more intensive recovery. And we have very intentional programming around drug and alcohol abuse or substance abuse, trauma. I'm the trauma counselor for the program, and we're just working through that. We teach healthy relationships, safe people, good boundaries. These women don't have any boundaries. Those were violated when they were little. And so they don't understand that it's not okay for people to get in their space. Or when people get in their space, they get really angry. You know, um, they feel very defensive. So we're working very intentionally through that recovery phase. And when women are stable and they're communicating well, and they have this dream and that vision, we start to work on that with them. Because when, when, the, when the body is rested and the brain is feeling safe and all those systems calm down, the spirit starts to come alive inside of a woman. And we've had women put their faith in Christ. We've had women that are being baptized at various churches around the community that are plugging into churches, which is so awesome, and getting that support network outside. So we're, we're teaching them all day long. They have very limited life skills, as you can imagine. And so later on in our program, we're, on, we're doing a lot of workforce readiness with them, helping them set those goals educationally, um, you know, looking for a job, planning for the future, because, you know, you, you, it's really challenging to live, you know, as a waitress, you know, coming out of that life, working late hours at night, you know, it's just, so we're really looking for jobs that these women can, where they can join most of society and working during the day and resting at night and just those normal rhythms of life. And so right now, um, a couple of our ladies are starting back to school. Um, the ladies we work with are considered homeless. Um, so we are working with the homeless population. And so FSCJ gave her a scholarship to go back to school because she was homeless. Yep. So she starts school here in a couple weeks. We have another lady that just started working on her CNA. And we had a community member give us a scholarship for her to pay for her to go to school. So that was a huge blessing for us. So our ladies are really moving forward. And everybody's going to do that in a different way. Um, but that's kind of what we would expect is that women would stay with us a while. Because it takes time to heal your whole life, you know? It takes a lot of time to get stabilized. Well, they, they, they spent 20, 25 years getting you know, getting it the way it is, and it's going to take a long time to get out. So I'm going to ask you about Freedom Cottage and, and future plans in just a minute, but 
I mean, even what I know about Freedom Cottage is four beds. I mean, how, where, when they're resting, I mean, you said they're homeless. I mean, where, where are they finding this? Where are they when they're finding this rest? Well, they're at Freedom Cottage. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they come in, and that's their early phase. And that's very intensive work for us and our staff, as you can imagine. Um, but they are at Freedom Cottage resting, you know, working through some of our curriculum and starting to get on the right path. So that's really where, that's sort of phase one, I mean, is, is coming in. How long are they, t mm -hmm. tell us about Freedom Cottage and sort of how long they're, the, you know, the goal is how long they're there. And right. how, how did that start? And we'll mm -hmm. get into, you know, are there sure. future future plans for more cottages? Okay. Yeah, and this is a challenging question because this is the only home that we have. And, um, you know, as I just described, we have a pretty lengthy program, yeah. long phases of care for them. Um, and so Freedom Cottage is technically a transition home. It's a home where women are coming in and pretty quickly they're going to be workforce ready. That doesn't mean they're going to go to work right away, but they're workforce ready, meaning that they have the raw skills there um, and ability to work on themselves. So what that has done for us as we've had, it has precluded us from taking women that are severe, dealing with severe trauma because they need 24-7 care. We do not have 24-7 care in this house. That is our vision, is to have a home out somewhere, buffered by the woods, hopefully, you know, where women can come. It's a sanctuary, and we have that 24-7 care, and we're building towards that. So Freedom Cottage is considered more of a transitional home, so women are coming to us from jail, and they've had some time of physical rest, sort of. Um, you know, they're coming to us from... Uh, maybe another program. Maybe they've been detoxed and they've been in a rehab program or something like that. So we took in a couple ladies fresh out of the life and whoo, yeah, we needed somebody there around the clock. Yeah, that was real challenging for us. And unfortunately, those two ladies relapsed. One of them is still out there. One of them got back on track, which is really great. Yeah. yeah. So um, tell, tell us about uh, Freedom Cottage, and um, and then Alicia, maybe I know you're probably still learning, but how can we uh, support, and how you know, as the director of development, what can we do uh, to help sort of continue to build more houses, more beds, more mm -hmm. things like that? So, yeah. either one. Okay, I'll answer that. I, I don't want to put Alicia on the spot. Yeah. Um, she, we're still learning a lot. Um, so. Freedom Cottage opened in no November 1 of last year. We had huge delays because of the hurricane and all of that. Um, and we've served 10 women in our residential program, and all of them are doing well except one. So those we have really good numbers right now for being such so young in that residential care, so we're very thankful for that. Um, in 2018, we have had 75 referrals, legitimate human trafficking victims, referrals, in 2018 for five beds we can add a fifth bed so we kind of go back and forth we've had four beds we've had five beds five beds is a little crowded um, but 75 referrals so there is a huge need for this kind of program in our community so we are looking to open a second home that would be freedom cottage 2 basically um, in the last quarter of this year so it costs us about fifty five thousand dollars to you know rent a home bring in a couple of staff people and run the programming just to cover all the expenses of that program but for that would cover the rent and all the expenses of running that program for one year so we are going to be launching a campaign to raise the money for that second house 
um, in the second quarter. So that's a great way that, that the community can get involved, not just financially, but um, sponsoring a room, you know, sponsoring the furnishings for a room, the bedspreads, the towels. I mean, if you think about, you know, when you got married, you know, you had a shower and people gave you all these things because you have to have that in a home, you know. And so those are those are ways the community can get involved in, in volunteering, doing a pantry drive for us. I know our Savior has been awesome partner for us that you guys have given so generously um, financially and volunteers sitting at this table that have been to Freedom Cottage and that help us so much and giving, um, you know, toiletry items, things that women need. Um, we don't need any more toothbrushes, by the way. <laughs> I feel like we can uh, brush the whole county's teeth <laughs> from our closet. But we have a, do we still have the basket in the no, lady? I took it out. Okay, so we've had it in the past. Because of BBS and Right, because of BBS and stuff. Oh, but, yeah. but, 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 but that's a temporary removal. I mean, we have a, a, a basket for toiletries and stuff in the ladies' bathroom that people, yeah. that those all go, just yeah. kind of continually go. Yes, and we all can really supportive in that way and been a great partner to us and, and we, we're super and we've gotten it for I mean, most people know but we've gotten a few um bequests or large gifts and we all we've tied that at least twice uh to um to her song and that's been a joy uh, to do yeah for sure mm -hmm. well how um let me ask you this what so is it's going well i mean you it's you're not a year you're not even a year in you've got but you had 10 percent uh, 10 ladies come through 90 percent or uh, success rate, which is extraordinary. That's um, I have, uh, I have a much lower success rate. I feel like here, here in Church of our Savior. That's not well, that's not funny. Well, it would change. It'd be fifty percent three months from now. So and so, how long? So I mean, I would say, gosh, that that's um, how long is that uh, for for someone a um, for someone who's there? Uh, probably three months, four months. Yeah, I would say we start to see really great results at about the three month mark. We uh -huh. see a, de a definite turning yeah. or shifting um, in the women's, in the way they think, in the way that they're responding emotionally, in the way they're able to connect with mm -hmm. others. Um, and so we have to work really hard to have a non-threatening environment because mm -hmm. everywhere these women have been, it's all been about power and control. And so this is keeps us on our toes. Are, are you only working with the women in Free Cottage, or are you counseling, doing trauma counseling for other women who mm -hmm. haven't found residential yet? Right. I mean, what is, what is mm -hmm. that? Well, um, trauma counseling specifically is in the context of Freedom Cottage, okay. um, but we do meet with a lot of survivors outside. We, her song has quickly become the go-to agency in Jacksonville. We are very loved and very um, blessed to have people put their faith and trust in us. And um, we have been in Duval County jails. Um, the sheriff invited us. Uh, we said, sure, we've been there three years. This year in 2018, we've provided referral and information services to 100 women in Duval County Jail. We've had an additional 50 women attend our purpose group, which is a Christ-based curriculum, how to find your God-given purpose. And it's really an awesome curriculum. So we're trained as facilitators in that, and we run that program in the jail. So we're reaching women outside of our program. And we have, we've had like, uh, I think, 13 referrals in July. You know, and so it's, but, but we work with those women too. We don't, um, we, we refer them to other places in the country, these other collaborations we have, or perhaps they would do well in rehab. We have a great relationship with Gateway Community Services, and maybe they can go to detox and rehab for 90 days, and we have a bed opening, and then they can come to us. So we work very closely with a lot of community partnerships. We realize we can't do that alone. 
it's important. Yeah, that's fantastic. What um, now obviously you work with women exclusively. Uh, there's a there's a difference. There's obviously going to be a difference between what um, female volunteers can do and, and male volunteers can do. Can are, is there is there a place for male volunteers? What what can what can guys do who feel like this is something they've got on their heart uh, as well? Well, we welcome men as volunteers. There's a couple sitting right over here at the table. And, you know, I think for a lot of men, and I'm not a man, and my husband could speak so well to this because he's really grown a passion for this too, is that I think for men, it, there's sort of this ick factor, you know, about because we think, oh, prostitution. We don't understand the backstory of the women, kind of that why behind the what. But if you ask, you know, ask Wayne, he's been to the cottage and, and he could tell you just how beautiful and amazing these women are, just the, the people that they are and just how they, you, you see them with skin on that they're, this is not a sex object sitting in front of you. This is a human being with a soul and a heart and who has potential. And I mean, I think that we need men who can show kindness. I think we need men, um, in a larger scale in our society, they're going to stand up and say, as men, you know, God gave us leadership and God called us as men to protect and we need to stand up and speak out that this is wrong. You know, we, we don't want to tolerate this in our community. Um, and, you know, I think also understanding that there is a strong connection between pornography and human trafficking. We have had many women in our program that were forced to, to have pornographic videos taken of them and those are used as blackmail, you know, to keep them under their control. And so I think what men may not understand is that pornography is a huge part of the human trafficking world. And, um, you know, I, we've been a part of some, we've had survivors in our program who were testifying against their trafficker. And part of what was going on there was they were using pornographic videos you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, she, she likes this. She wants to do that. But that's how they cut it and edit it. And they drug them. And, you know, and, and so we need to understand that that is something that as long as we're clicking on buttons, we are supporting, you know, this kind of criminal activity and abuse and violence in our world. So I just think we need men in all kinds of ways. I don't want men to shy away. Yeah, we need women. And we have all female employees. Um, and we're intentional about that. But we need men who can show kindness. These women may have not ever known a man that was kind that didn't want sex from them. You know? A man that would be like, how can I pray for you? You know? Um, talk to them about parenting. You know? Talk to them about... We've got one of the men that's coming into our program as, as a volunteer is getting financial counseling. He's got training in his background, and this is what he does as a, as a hobby, and it's fun for him. So he comes to the house, and he meets with the ladies, and he helps them learn how to create a budget, how to save their money, how much money do they need to make before they can actually go out into independence on their own, and so helping them set those financial goals. So we can use men, definitely. So if there's that sense of burden and calling, you know, just, just call us, email us. We'll talk with you about it. That's really great to know. I mean, just it, it seems I don't know the ick factor is what I would the way I would say it, but just this sort of like I'm not sure. I think I'd be hurt. I don't think I'd be helping the problem if you know if it, um, they've been beaten up by men. But I guess having those healthy relationships, having uh, can really really be a benefit. Well, it's good to know, and, and it um, I hope it, it. I mean, it gives me hope, and and um, and I hope that. It, for some of the other fellows that are here as well. Well, um, what are some of the other roles that the volunteers can play, men or, or women? Uh, 
We love volunteers. <laughs> we have, um, we, you can actually speak with Carol, and if you want to, um, we have a list of volunteer needs. Um, many of those have been recently filled, which is wonderful. Um, so we have definitely have volunteer opportunities within the organization. If you want to come into Freedom Cottage, you know, maybe you just want to come pick weeds out of the yard. You're just a glutton for punishment out in the heat or something. I don't know. But we have people that love to do that. They come and they'll mow the grass. They'll clip the bushes for us. They'll pull weeds, you know, things like that. Um, we uh, need people to help stock our pantry. We love it for women to come in and just have dinner or even a co-ed group come in and just have dinner with the women. I know Wayne and Mary Jo have brought some people out to have like a cookout, you know, and just hang out with the girls for a little bit. Um, we can use volunteers as mentors. We're looking for mentors, you know, whether it's a male doing financial management or a female just befriending and encouraging and helping her build herself up. Um, we just have it, you know, we can make a place for you, you know, looking at your skill set and your time availability and, you know, what, what you're passionate about and we can try to find a place for you. And of course, we'll have events and stuff. We'll, we'll, need, we'll need volunteers just to show up and say hi to people. You know, so we can keep you guys in the loop. We're having an event at Top Golf on October 7th, and I know we're going to need a handful of volunteers um, for that event. So if you just want to come out and be a nice person that's a greeter and, and says hello to people and is just kind of that liaison for her song, I would love to have you guys there. So we can keep you updated on that. It's October 7th. October 7th. It is Top a Sunday. Golf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in the uh, Sunday morning? No, it's yeah. in the afternoon. Awesome. Four yeah, four to eight. Yeah, so wow. the way that works is we have. I think Trent has the service that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can cancel your service. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. we have corporate sponsorships. So uh -huh. If you work for a company that would be interested in supporting this cause in the community, we've got corporate sponsorship packets available, and then we have an individual level sponsorship. And you get so many bays and so many tickets. I don't know exactly what all that is, but. We would love to have more sponsorships for that event. Well, all right, let me ask you this because we do have uh, folks uh, either here or who will listen to the um, listen to it later, or people who know people uh, just in this. What what are your what are the financial needs? What how can if someone has a business or, or just has a uh, their own trust? I mean, what um, tell us what 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 kind of contributions uh, you need and what uh, what you're hoping for and what and what those dollars will do? Absolutely. Well, um, we're at about 46% of our annual budget, and um, the majority of our budget dollars go into programming, and um, that's, that's, if you give, that's where your money's going, is really in everything that we're doing. We try to keep our admin super low, you know, through volunteers. Um, everything that we're doing is, is working towards supporting those victims and giving them the resources and the programming that they need. So when you give financially, you can know that we are, you know, stewardship and integrity is super important to us and we're really all about the impact. And that's what, that's where your dollars will go as you give is, is in the women's lives. What is the annual budget? Our annual budget is three, Wayne, tell us Wayne. 310,000 for the yes. program we have today. When we build it out, it's going to be 750 to a million. Yeah. I wouldn't know what to do with a million dollars. That'd be amazing. But we've applied for a ton of grants. <laughs> I'll give you a call. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Um, 
So, you know, and the Lord has been so kind to us because this is not something you jump in and just build something and go nuts, right? And the Lord has been so kind. And I would say that he is, we have never been left without resources, never. And, you know, we're blessed to have about three months of operational cash in the bank, um, which a lot of my pastor friends go, oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, what? I'm scared to death. You know, so it's just a matter of perspective on that. Um, but I think that um, we've got, last year we had about 50-something percent of our funding came from the faith-based community, which was awesome. Um, I don't really know where we're at percentage-wise this year, but we've applied for a number of grants this year. We've received a couple of grants. We're hoping to receive more in the fall. So I hope that we'll still have that balance between, you know, public and private funding next year as well. So, um, you know, we're, we've got to grow, Wayne. And I'd encourage if anybody feels the, the desire to support, go online and sign up to be a $25 or $50 a month giver and you can do that and set up a credit card and it'll come out of here and you'll never see it and it means so much to us. As we build that up, you know, if we get $2,500 a month from small givers, that pays for a couple of coaches. I mean, that mm -hmm. small, the small donors add up quick and it's, you know, if, if you want to give us thousands of dollars, wonderful. But if you really just feel the need, there's a way to do that on a small level as part of your normal, normal uh, philanthropy. Yeah, that, that'd be I mean, fantastic. We, we always say we want, we want people to give 10% of, um, of their income to gospel ministries. So, you know, we'd love for that. that you know, this, assume that your church is feeding you um, spiritually, but we, that, that didn't, all 10% doesn't need to be to the church you know, to give it to gospel ministries. But one of my favorite things about her song is that officially, technically, it's not a Christian ministry. And yet you are completely, and that way you can get the public grants and things, but you're completely unashamed of, of the gospel. And Does that ever present any kind of problems for you to run into anything? I love this question. Yeah, okay. I mean, and people that are non-believers love to kind of pin me on this. And, you know, our board is full of people that are faithful people who understand the heart of this ministry. And, you know, we call it a ministry. We call it a nonprofit. We call it an organization. Whatever we need to call it, it's the same at the end of the day. And we are ministering to ladies, body, mind, and spirit. And so people like to pin me on the spirit thing. And I recently was quizzed by a grant-making group, and they said, you know, we don't like for people to proselytize. And I said, well, you know, we avoid two extremes. And the first extreme would be to ignore that people have a spirit, right? And if you want to believe that they don't have a spirit, okay, that's fine. You can believe that. But we don't ignore that people have a spirit, an essence about them that is, is the heart of who they are. And the other extreme that we avoid is cramming religion down somebody's throat because these women have been through so much force. Um, and so we really, it thrills us to be in the community demonstrating the love of Christ, no matter what's coming back to us, that we are just... Uh, the love of Christ everywhere we go, whether that's we're talking with the sheriff's office or we're talking with victims, um, we're talking with other agencies. And, you know, we are um, going to minister to women and serve them and love them the same no matter what they believe. Many of them don't even know what they believe, first of all. But um, over time, as they see God's love demonstrated and His kindness over and over and over. It's something they've never experienced before. And that is such a thrill for us. And But we allow women to chart their own spiritual journey. We, we give, we put 
everything out there on the shelf and they can take it if they want it and if they don't want it. We've had one lady go, don't give me any of that religious stuff. And we said, okay, you know, but she's still going to hear it in the conversations. She's going to know and see around Freedom Cottage, we've got some scriptures and some people that were going to give us a grant, consider us for a grant. Um, one of them said, oh, you're going to need to take that down. And it was a scripture that one of the ladies had painted and put on the wall. And I said, no, I'm not taking that down. That is her heart. That's what she wants to communicate. And that is a beautiful picture of what's important to her. And it's about her. It's not about me and what I believe. I'm called by God and I'm doing this by faith. Yes. And I'm leading my organization, hopefully, to walk by faith, too, and trust in the Lord. Um, but at the end of the day, these women get to choose. And, you know, our heart's desire is that they choose a loving God who can redeem them and give them purpose and buy them back from all of that junk that they've been through. Yeah, I would think that um, it is, for someone who has not been trafficked but has been burned by religion, yeah. um, that they could see this as an opportunity for somebody to, you know, take advantage, another, take advantage of somebody who's, you know, in a weak state uh, to have another notch in their evangelism belt. But, but the... Um, but I, I would think that's, you know, the, to see the compassion that you give them to them, to the ladies, is just as much a ministry to the to those people who are, you know, so that's, that's pretty neat. I never really considered that. Well, well, and I think the gospel, briefly, yeah. is both is both spiritual and it's practical and physical. Yeah. And so we're doing both things. You know, we are practically serving, loving, supporting, but we also, when there's that moment we follow the spirit because we know that God is working. And you know what? A year from now, it's not going to be Rachel speaking all the, over the place. It's going to be these women. They have leadership. They have passion. God has made them a brand new woman. And they're going to be the ones here with the microphone. And y'all are going to all be crying hearing their stories. Yeah. Listen, we could talk to you all day. I know. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, it is such a pleasure and a privilege to partner with you. Uh, for the gospel and for the health of our community. Thank Amen. you so Thank much. You. Yeah. Thank you all. Awesome. Let, let me uh, let's just take a minute. Let me uh, just pray for, for y'all and pray for her song and, and for the ladies. Yeah. I want to thank Mary Jo and Wayne for bringing her song to our attention. Yes. Uh, they've done mm -hmm. so much work. Yeah. Wonderful. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for uh, a ministry like her song, for, for people that you have raised up uh, from faith and prayer like Rachel and Alicia and the other staff and volunteers, uh, and uh, for people that like Wayne and Mary Jo who have just uh, sort of happened into it and um, folks who have heard about it. This great community around Jacksonville that is uh, really uh, raising awareness. Um, God, we pray. Uh, pray as, as football season starts again, Lord, that, that these you would um, just minimize those who are are trafficked um, to the crowds. There, we pray, God, that you would uh, continue to pour out your resources uh, upon her song and upon all the ministries that that reach out to these victims, um, uh, whether they're Christian specifically or not. Uh, detox facilities and hospitals and jails, and um, we ask God that you would just um, to watch over us. And we pray for the day. Um, in this life and in the next, where uh, there are no more tears, where there is no more uh, the, the evil that, that contributes to this is, is totally overcome. And we pray, Father, for uh, your Holy Spirit, your mercy, your grace. And uh, we just ask for your blessing upon her song and continue partnership with the Church of Our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. I can help you want to volunteer.